100th anniversary, Jake. Happy 100th anniversary, Nathan. Happy 100th anniversary, Brandon. Hey, happy anniversary. 100th. Hundo. Hundo. Happy 100th anniversary. Mysterious stranger sitting in the room observing everything. Our first ever live audience. Oh, yeah. Ever. (laughs) Clap. Harry Potter. The greatest movie series of all time. The Lickening. Based on some okay books. Nope. Nope. Folks. We may not all have that opinion. We may not all have that opinion. It's possible there's someone in this room that doesn't. Hey, guys, we should tell people what we're doing. First of all, happy 100th episode to everyone. 100th episode. Happy 100th episode, Jake. Happy 100th episode. We're looking pretty good for 100. Yeah, yeah. Brandon's starting to go a little white. Hey, so I won too many Dementors. Mm-hmm. This is what we're doing, folks. You came through. They came through, Jake. They met the Mysterious Phantoms Challenge. I knew you would. Greatest fans ever. Yeah, they are. Brandon? Yeah. Let me introduce you for Let's the 100th time. <laughs> this is the 100th time I'm inter- going to say the same that I say that every time. That seems so... You've changed it a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I changed it up. This is the 100th time. This is the 100th time I'm going to say the same thing I say for Jake. True. But say I've this been for this for a while. You've been this for a while, yeah. Scholar who's a baller of reading, folks. Yeah. It's Brandon Chastain. Oh, I see. That's right. Now, Brandon, uh-huh. I'd like to give you the honor of introducing our good mutual friend. He's the pastor. He's a master. Do go on. And he knows how to read. Mm. Indeed. Yep. So he is <laughs> the pastor. Ever since I was a wee little lad, I've He's been able to read. He's the master of reading. That's me. Jacob Benzel. Jacob also Yo. CEO of Warhorn Media. And that stands for Chief Executive Officer. Whoa. True enough. Let's talk about some HP. Let's do it. Yo. Like the computer? Yeah. I prefer Apple. You're Hewlett Packard. I think Hewlett Packard was HP I'm was a Lenovo first guy. computer. You're a Lenovo guy. <laughs> what a pathetic <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> Guys, we're reading Harry Potter. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. Yes. We're going to discuss all kinds of things. Are the movies better? Are the books better? Should Christians read books about Harry Potter? Hmm. We'll do some donor shout outs. We're going to save that, though, until we're about halfway through, I think. What's that sound? <laughs> It's the hundredth. Well, actually, we don't do it every episode, so I don't know what number it is, but Brandon's firing off his guns. We don't do it every episode. No, we don't. We do it every, like, we do it every month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah. interesting to see how many times. We've probably done it, I want to say... 36? About 36 times or so. You've shot off the old guns, mm-hmm. and you've let out a hail and hearty... Yeehaw! Unlike that one. <laughs> Yeehaw! There we go. So you got a little crack in the voice there. You throw your 10-gallon hat in. Oh, yeah. Fun fact. We, we, we'll we be revealing one fun fact that our listeners don't know about each one of us. Brandon wears a 10-gallon hat. I do. To sleep at night. <laughs> to sleep <laughs> at night. <laughs> His wife demands Sorry. it. <laughs> Brandon. Hey. You fired off the guns. That means we've reached the contextual Texan, the part of the show where you... Give much needed context to the work. So yeah. you're going to tell us some context about old Harry Potter. Now, folks, we're going to do several episodes. I don't know exactly how many episodes we're going to get out of Harry Potter, but we're going to keep, we're not going to do one per book, but we're going to do any number of episodes about Harry Potter, as many as it takes to discuss everything, to give you lots of wisdom about Harry Potter and whether you should like it, whether it's a classic, whether it's something that we think is going to last, whether Christians should read it at all, given the occultic elements and some of the things that people maybe have some problems with in Harry Potter. We're going to discuss all of it, all of it. But we're going to start with Brandon, as we always do, giving us some context. So take it away, B. Hey, I'm in. Fun fact. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's throw a fun fact in every now I and like then. I like fun facts. Fun fact. All right. What was J.K. Rowling's, or who is? She's not dead. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Who is J.K. Rowling's favorite author? Mm. Not her most influential author, but the one she actually says is her favorite. J.R. Tolkien. No. Is it someone who we've read? Yes. Marilyn Robinson. No. Mm. Steinbeck. No. Tolstoy. No. Homer. No. Shakespeare. No. Is it someone we've read this year? Yes. Oh. Austin. Yes. Really? So you and J.K. Rowling share something in common. Oh, that hurts. I don't like that. Jane Austen. I don't think I care for that, Jake. Is her favorite. Why didn't she do let a me better... Let me let this sink in. I... Jane oh. Austen is her favorite author. I don't want to tip That's my hand. How did, why didn't she do a I mean, better Can't you job? see all the Austen influences? Uh, I, you, there are. Yeah, but. Mrs. Norris, for instance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. That's true. There's, I, can't, I can't remember which book, but I actually, as we went through it, 
There were a whole bunch of Austin references. All those long conversations they have in Gryffindor Commons. No, one of just reveals so much about the characters. One of the one of the books had <laughs> a bunch of. Uh, I think one of the books had a bunch of Mansfield Park references in it. Probably. And another one had a bunch of Anna Karenina references. Yeah, that's probably true. Huh. Northanger Abbey would have been a natural one for some references. Yeah. I may be making that up, but that's how I felt. Well, oh, Mrs. She, I mean, Mrs. Norris is pretty unavoidable. She's a literate woman. Mm. She can read mm-hmm. <laughs> and has read mm. many. In fact, if we just want to jump to her influences for whatever reason, we don't have to do this linear. We don't have to do this in a linear nature. Brandon, this is the hundredth episode. As far as I'm concerned, you've earned the gonna, right to do whatever you want. We're just going to do this uh, uh, stream of consciousness. Stream style. of consciousness. In a nod to our favorite author, James Joyce. Frogs. Frogs falling from the sky. P.T. Anderson. She's no P.T. Anderson. Anderson Cooper. Yeah. It's a thing in Mad Men. Likes the facts. Men are married to women. Yes. Dream of consciousness. She's a woman. Back to her. Yeah. C.S. Lewis was also an influence. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprising. Gerald Tolkien, and she really loved Charles Dickens. Um, you can see Charles Dickens' influences, especially in the names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirk she, yeah no she is a big fan of strange and On memorable names. Yeah. Yeah. Dolores Umbridge. I wonder what this character is going to be like. That's a very Dickensian. Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Malfoy. I wonder if Malfoy's a good Draco guy or a bad Lucius. guy. <laughs> Draco and Lucius. Slytherin. Slytherin. I bet the good guys go to Slytherin. Yeah, I bet. When Malfoy, Draco's son is like Scorpius or Scorpio or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like His a, next one is called Cancer. And, uh, it's like a Rocky villain, Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Scorpio. <laughs> Apparently, one of her biggest influences is this author named Jessica Mitford. Never heard of her. Never heard of her either. But she was, no, she came from an influential family. A lot of her sisters are remembered as being Hitler sympathizers. Okay. (laughs) But she was not a Hitler sympathizer. She courageously stood against her family, was called the Red Sheep, and was a major writer in the early 1900s. Now, Jake, how do you feel about that Hitler? Not a fan. Brandon? Not not a fan. I myself, not a fan. Good. Mysterious Stranger? Hitler guy? You like old Adolf? Not a fan. He's giving a thumbs down. <laughs> I think we can narrow it down and say the mysterious fan, the mysterious stranger, is not a dementor. Yeah, well, he gave or a, a thumbs down. I mean, yeah. it was a His strong moral statement. Would probably be all for Hitler because they were for Harry Potter's Hitler. Yeah, Voldemort. They were his supporters. <laughs> A very strong logic here in the booking. You got a giggle out of our <laughs> mysterious stranger there. You just just the phrase Harry Potter's Hitler. Yeah. Harry Potter's Hitler. <laughs> I'm gonna write a novel horse. called Harry Potter's Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brandon. so let's get back on track. Yes, 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 yes. Put the hors d'oeuvre out. Let's get to the main mill. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with some biography. Some biography. That's Bio. how Brandon likes to start. If we know anything, that's where we like episodes. to start because it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And as every writer knows, you have to start somewhere. No, you know I don't know anything about J.K. Rowling. A lot of times I know something when we go into these things, but I really don't know. I know she. I think she's like a single young mother who had kind of a pursuit of happiness kind of a life where she was suddenly. That's my impression of her. Kind of. Maybe. I think. I I'm think that to... we have romance. Much like the quill, what's it called? Quill. That that lady uses Rita Skeeter's quill? Yeah, Rita Skeeter. Something quotes quill? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the quotes quill. Much like that quotes quill saw the glimmer of sorrow in Harry Potter's eye, I'm pretty sure our news sources have made her story out to be much more than it is, and she even admits to that. Okay. She didn't have an awful childhood. She didn't really ever sink that much into poverty. She had some hard times. She's not particularly close to her father. Interesting. Surprise. Her mother had, yeah, her mother had multiple sclerosis. Is that how you say that? Yeah, that's nasty. It eventually killed her, and so a lot of the sorrow that she has had over the death of her mother comes into the first Harry Potter book. And it was used to process that. You can see that a lot in that book as well, with Harry finding the mirror. What was the mirror called? The mirror of... Eris said, desire spelled backwards. (laughs) Well, look at that. Nerd. (laughs) I didn't notice it. My wife did, actually. Yeah. Okay. Wait, she doesn't actually point that out? She never points that out. I don't know. That's actually lamer somehow. But she know, never but... points out that Erised is desire spelled backwards. I mean, it's just, well, I guess I didn't it's catch it. It's a nice sounding name. It's a good yeah. magic There's name. a lot of things like that. Yeah. Diagon Alley, diagonally, nocturne alley, nocturnally. Yeah, I noticed all well, that stuff. somebody's smarter than we are. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. My wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. <laughs> Who is, uh, let's just, we should just check in. People are probably concerned. Still kidnapped? No. Not to the best of my knowledge. I don't believe they are. Yeah. So we don't actually know. <laughs> okay. We're, we're, I don't normally go home. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm usually 
getting ready for this. Because the mysterious phantom had kidnapped them both, and we, we've got the money, so, but then he disappeared. I don't know. We'll find out about their wives later, folks. Yeah, next episode. Yeah, next I'm episode. I'm sure they're fine. I'll text or something. Yeah. Well, she's tied to train tracks I right think I can FaceTime now. You can FaceTime? Yeah. Toy train track tied to her head. But it's still not a good situation to be in. Should be all right. Okay. Makes fine. All right. All right. You, you guys' wives, I'm, you know. So, single back, man myself. back to Baya. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's the reason she's so obsessed with names. This is a hot theory right here. I've never okay. heard this before. <laughs> she, <laughs> her name was Joan Rowling. We actually say it rolling. In, rolling? In, yeah. We Brits. We say it rolling. <laughs> we actually say it rolling. Rolling. <laughs> and she, it, it was a part of her uh, burden she had to bear her whole life. The people would make fun of her name for being rolling. And so, in fact... When she became a French instructor after she came back to Britain after her uh, excursion into where she went to teach uh, English as a second language, our assistant's going to look it up. Can you look it up? Thanks. Thanks, assistant. Where did she she teach English as a second language? Anyways, she came back. That's where she had her first husband. Is that Mr. Rowling or is Rowling? No, 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 no. She didn't keep his name. Her first husband was named Jorge Arantes. Okay. Which makes me think it was a South, you know, a, a, a Spanish-speaking country. That's his shriveled head in the bus? Yes. That is his head. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> Fascinating. Anyways, when she came back, she was a French instructor. Portugal. Thank you. Portugal. It was Portugal. Yeah, pretty sure they speak Portuguese in Portugal. They speak Portuguese. She went to the spe- uh, teach English as a second language there. When she came back, she became a French instructor. And as she would walk out of the class, her uh, students would sing, rolling, rolling, rolling. In her face. Raw high. So it was a burden she had to bear her whole life. The fact that she oh, was, was named so sad. rolling. <laughs> but in America, we call her rowling because we like to appropriate everything British. <laughs> And twisted. Doron. Wait, so what is it? What does she call herself? Rolling. Rolling. So the fact that I've called her Rowling my whole life. I've Brad been could Everybody confirm. we've ever known and ever heard of calls her Rowling. I'm pretty sure Brad could confirm for us. Brad, what do you guys call Hit her over up, there? Hit us up, Brad. She was born in Gloucestershire, England, and her father was an aircraft engineer, and her mother was a science don't, technician. Don't, don't you just say it, Gloucester? Gloucester, probably. In an early picture of how she would take her experience and put it into her books, her parents apparently met at King's Crossing on a train. Uh-huh. Ah. And so trains become an important imagery in the King's Harry Potter Crossing. books. Yep. Mm-hmm. Had a fairly, she calls it unhappy childhood. It seems to be just a fairly normal but not exciting childhood. She wasn't overly close to her father. She doesn't really d- divulge a whole lot about that. I tried to read interviews where she would talk a lot about her father. The most I ever got was the fact that she just really doesn't speak to him anymore. Mm. So they're not on speaking terms. I don't know if it has to do with the fact that he was distant from their mother or if there's something else beyond that. Her mother got multiple sclerosis, died after she got back from teaching in Portugal. So we'll get there in a minute. Okay. But that would be very influential also on her life and her writing. Um, as she was growing up, she, like C.S. Lewis, liked to tell stories. And she told stories to her sister, D in one interview I saw, or actually just a little piece she wrote about her own Kind of like a small autobiographical piece. She said that she would tell rabbit stories a lot to her sister growing up. And they had little worlds they would create with these rabbits in them. And so she was a storyteller from a young age. Like we see with C.S. Lewis. We saw with Dickens. Well, we haven't seen with Dickens. Is she a fan of... But we will see with Dickens. Beatrix? She never said. You would imagine she would be. But she told these stories and she would go to the various schools. She went to a little primary school in the town they grew up in, and then they moved to the Forest of Dean, where she attended uh, Whiting Comprehensive Academy, which apparently, to this day, their claim to fame is the fact that J.K. Rowling went to Whiting Comprehensive Academy. (laughs) But she says of herself that she would tell stories at lunch to the other girls, kind of just stories about themselves, little adventure tells, and that also she became the head girl. Hmm. So she was a fairly successful in her academic career. She... Applied to get into Oxford, didn't get in, and so she went to Exeter instead, where she studied French. She says much to her chagrin, because her mother told her that she should try and become a bilingual secretary, which is what she did. She became a bilingual secretary for Amnesty International, quickly found herself not so thrilled about that prospect, so she got a job teaching English as a second language in Portugal, where she met her first husband, Jorge Arantes. Jorge Arantes. Had her first daughter, which she named, we've already had... Foreshadowing of this, Jessica, after Jessica Mitford, 
her favorite writer, the Red Sheep. So hmm. they had a troubled marriage. She came back to um, England. He would try to come and pursue them, but she would eventually take out a order of restraint against him, is what they call it in Britain. An order of restraint. Because they have to be fancy with everything. Mm -hmm. Also known here as a restraining order. Okay. And he had to go back to Portugal, and that was the last of him. Um, and this is where the sort of... <laughs> the last of That was the last of him. <laughs> she ever murdered She did the Avada Kedavra curse on him. That's where she created that. <laughs> so it was during this period that most biographies that we know of J.K. Rowling kind of focus because when she comes back, she feels like a failure. She went to university. She's tried to have a career. She failed as a bilingual secretary because she says that as she was a secretary, she would always have her head in the clouds creating stories. She attempted to write two novels that were failures at the time. Um, she just kind of scrapped them. And then it was during one period where she, I forget where she was. It's like on a bus or something. But it's kind of like we've we've seen this before with C.S. Lewis, where you just suddenly have the image of the light of the lamp mm -hmm. in the snow. Suddenly, just fully realized to her was this world of wizards, where you go to a, a boarding school to be taught how to be a wizard. And she said it just seemed real. It seemed this world just came to her. She started writing stories about this uh, character, Harry Potter, who she named after the Potters, who were two children that she played with growing up. Ian um, and something Ian and, yeah, I had it written down here somewhere. Shouldn't have interrupted you, sorry. Yeah, they, friends growing up in Winterbourne, they were the Potters. I didn't have their names written down. And in fact, uh, also another major character in the books, she would base on herself at 11 in school, who was awkward and kind of shy, but also bookish, which would be Hermione Granger. So apparently you Hermione, say. Yeah, Hermione is based on J.K. Rowling. Mm. I'm so shocked and surprised. Oh, yeah. so, Knock me down with the feather. Um, so during this period, the period after she comes back to America, she has this idea that just comes to her fully formed. She so starts she writing. she back to America? No, sorry, England. Yeah. Thank you. She doesn't come to America. America doesn't picture in this at all, except in making her rich, as we generally do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's our gift. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> or as we like to call you, Rowling. Rowling. It's our prerogative. Mm -hmm. We yeah. made you what you are today. Yeah. Except one last fun fact is she, apparently she was born in Chipping Sudbury Hospital, which she says is a fortuitous because it showed from her earliest days that she would be obsessed with funny, expressive names. Hmm. There you go. She saw it as being like the call over David Copperfield's head. Can I just say, yeah. this, this may be entirely uncharitable, but multiple times now I've thought I don't buy any of her self-mythologizing at all. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's true. Uh, but I, the same thing. I sure oh, don't yes, buy it. She's always telling stories. And yeah, and, and then oh, yes. the I world don't, don't came fully formed. Like yeah. just every all those kinds of things. Just they do. It's what I buy is that she probably had inspiration somehow, and it just kind of clicked. Oh sure, and she had the idea. But all the other stuff about her childhood, she's trying to reimagine her youth as a storyteller. While we have no, well, her sister corroborates the stories about the her, rabbits. About right. the rabbits. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to be completely right. cynical. It's just. It all sounds kind of neat. It sounds like what you would write if you were doing well, the Well, it sounds the like this is where we are. It we're, keeps we're, we're reminding me of the there. way that Madeline Langle tells we're, her story. Yeah, yeah We're getting there. So here's actually then, you have had people then come and try to tell the narrative in other ways. Mm -hmm. What it seems like is the truth is that, like I said earlier, she loved her mother, had disappointing childhood with her father. He was distant for some reason. She was fairly intelligent and clever. She was the head girl. That's mm -hmm. corroborated. But otherwise, we don't know a whole lot about who she was or her child, other well, than what she's told us. And people have told nobody us. would want to argue with her yeah, against exactly. her intelligence. I mean, yeah, she's done pretty well for herself. Everybody who grew up with her is going to want to help with this mythology of who she is now. Sure. Yeah. Right. So that the the point to be made there is when you're ever you're trying to pierce and figure out who an author was, especially either a modern author or someone like even Dickens, mm -hmm. you would get all these people that would like make up these stories about them, and it's really hard to actually get at who they were. Right, so you have these stories about Dickens throwing these amazing Christmas parties and always just being this jolly, happy guy. Right. Mr. Fezziwig. Yeah, but then he committed adultery with his actress and abandoned his wife. Mm -hmm. So you, you got to have discernment and pierce through yeah. the cloud, the people are, the the, the patina. Mm -hmm. the, the golden I haze. Love, I love the golden haze, mm -hmm. the patina, the golden haze. Who so. doesn't? But this is the period where she dealt with a lot. She had to go into government welfare. Um, she had this child she was trying to provide for. She was working as a French teacher for like a, the, the British equivalent of the elementary schools. She was dealing with depression at the time, like severe depression considered suicide. And apparently that's where the Dementors come from. And not talking, whatever. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
the aspect that Dementors have with depression is that they suck all the happiness out of the world. Uh-huh. I yeah, mean, if, if, who needs, uh-huh. yeah. That's the deepest thing anybody's okay. ever said about depression. Is that, okay, yeah. I, I don't mean now. to be mean. No, I, I, we should say, mm, we all, to varying degrees, and there are some, there is some variation here, but we all enjoy these novels, so. Yeah, I think the important point to be made here is that we take for granted, I, and people do this with the news, if you go read Amusing Yourselves to Death, mm-hmm. or Amusing Ourselves to Death, where he, he points out the fact that the news creates reality for us, right? and we just accept it without any sort of discernment, without any sort of shifting through what's true, what's false. And that's what we get with our authors, too. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. Whatever she says about herself may or may not be true. And whatever the Guardian says about her may or may not be true. Yeah. Because they want her to they want her to be the author of Harry Potter. Yeah. Instead yeah of just, I assume all of it has an element of true, truth. I assume she's probably not tr- yeah. setting out to tell lies or create a tall tale. It's just interesting to try to read between the lines. There are two aspects of her biography where we're going to get to that we do need, to, I think, are helpful to look at now because she would, uh, she will eventually become the 197th richest person in the world, and she will eventually give most of that away to charity. <laughs> She's a lot like Bill Gates in that fact that she lives very, lives very modestly. Her house is fairly nice, but it would be no nicer than like what a well-tenured professor here at IU would live in, right? She's not mm-hmm. living in the mansion that Mark Cuban lives in. She has a fairly modest life, fairly quiet life. She's married to a doctor now. His name is Neil Murray has three children. And in one of the interviews I read, I was talking to this other fairly famous journalist from Britain, kind of actually made me like Rowling a little better. The journalist was like saying, you know, I think I've had enough children. And Rowling was like saying, really? That seems kind of strange. I think if I could have more, I would. I love children. So she seems like a quiet woman who doesn't want to be in the spotlight, has given most of her money away, not really to charities that we would even see issues with, to poverty, to helping young mothers who they don't have a husband to provide for her and the, the, them and the children. So, uh, and also multiple sclerosis, the foundation there. So that's where she's given most of her money away to those foundations. So how did she get there? Well, I think we know. Hmm. In the mid-90s, she writes Harry Potter. She goes to a agent, and he gets excited, and he starts to shop it around. They get to 12 publishers who all turn it down because they just don't know if children's books are selling anymore. Children really aren't reading anymore. So just we need to pause there for a minute because this is a real fact of the 90s. In the 90s, we're all kind of the same age. Even our hidden guest oh, over here. Illustrious hidden guest. He's kind of a little bit, the, yeah, he's kind of the same age as us. We all grew up with Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. We all grew up with the rise of the internet, with MTV, with VH1, with the rise of cable television, all these things that were uh, video games, the big thing. Yeah, video games, huge. What this meant is that as this culture began to grow and capitalism, all these things began to realize they could make a whole lot of money off this. Guess which market started to die? Books. The book market. Children weren't reading anymore. And so here she comes. She's got this book. It was anti-cool to read. Yeah, it was not cool to read. That's right. The we only thing you could read. smart people by calling them books. Yeah. You could read Goosebumps. Yeah, that's why I read Goosebumps is because yeah. I wanted to read an escape and I needed something that was passably cool enough. Yeah. And so it was Goosebumps. Yeah, and I would read Goosebumps at my cousin's house and I would think, this is kind of cool. And then I would end up reading what I else... I wanted to read. You just weren't as cool as Jake? I guess. You're also classically educated. I was in the public schools. I know. And you're fatter than Jake. I am. Not not then. (laughs) Highly relevant fact. (laughs) Highly relevant. Thank you, Nathan. I think that's the (laughs) second time that's been pointed out. (laughs) I'm pleasantly plump. I myself. Even more pleasantly, uh, almost unpleasantly plump. It was the phantom that pointed it out the first time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did the phantom say you were fat? He said I was chubby. chubby. Well, I'm sure he would feel bad about that. He may not have control over the things he says. I don't know. So, how did we get here? Books. 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 Children weren't reading. Right. Books weren't cool. It was the 90s. And so here she comes with this book that I think we all would agree is many, many times better than R.L. Stein's books. Yeah. Yes. Right. Tote. It's about a wizard. It's about all these things that these book these guys would see. I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sell many of these. And in fact, that's what the first person said. She got this one publisher to look at, it and he was interested. They said we, we might sell 800 of these, and that's going to be it. And you just need to be okay with that because I, I really don't make a whole lot of money off children's books. So what happens? They put it on the shelves. It kind of becomes a hit. It starts winning prizes enough that she then publishes Chamber of Secrets, and then you get the big thing in '97. America bids on these books, and so this is all in '95. Philosopher's Stone. Philosopher's Stone is 95. Philosopher's Stone in Britain. Mm. America Scholastic, big publisher. They have a bidding war. In fact, it goes to auction. I guess there are book auctions that this happens at where they all auction off who's going to get this. Bids for it and wins for $105,000. And when she hears this, she just knows her life has changed. 
And she's able to go and she buys a nice house for her and her daughter. And then Chamber of Secrets sells even more copies. And then in 99, Prisoner of Azkaban sells even more copies. And then by 2000, as soon as the book is released in 2000, Goblet of Fire sells 3 million copies in America alone, like the first day. Hmm. It's insane. No book had really ever seen this amount of success. It was crazy. And not only a book like... So some books had been fairly, fairly successful. The guy we almost had to read, James... James Patterson. James yeah. Patterson. They're fairly successful. Thank you for saving us. Yes, thank yes, you so Yes, thank much. you for saving us from that. The difference with this, though, is that she's a decent writer. She's good. Mm-hmm. She's telling stories that will eventually become a modern myth that, go, that are so relevant and hit at something so either true or enticing... Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll get to that. We'll talk about it. That's a large part that of what it, we're going to get it, at. It is. It's as much of as part of the our zeitgeist as the books that Dickens wrote, as some of Shakespeare's plays. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how to quantify this kind of thing, but I feel like bigger than Star Wars. Yes, bigger than Star Wars is a good example. Marvel. Yeah, you know. Star Wars. I think it's is huge. A, is it's a really good comparison for a lot of reasons. But this myth, this, and not just the myth, but the world that comes with it. It's now a part of our culture. It's a part of our society. It's part of who we are. How we talk to one another, how we think. This art has really shaped our culture. By 2007, when the final book is released, it broke records by selling 11 million copies in the first day. It's insane. I remember showing up at uh, Barnes & Noble's that day, and it was the night before. It was like seven o'clock in the evening, and the parking lot was full. There was a crowd outside. I mean, I've been to like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings opening days, but this was something else. I mean, everybody was dressed in Harry Potter stuff, and it was just our local Barnes and Nobles. But it was like it was crazy. People yeah. were yeah camped out. Then this was the night before. It wasn't going to come out until midnight that night for a book. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that no book has had that amount of influence mm-hmm. since Harry Potter. Yeah, and I'm not sure that. I mean, so it's now as far as a series goes, it has sold more copies than any other book series in the history. In history, it out. Uh, it out, yeah, it's outstripped the Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. Probably both put together, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a huge phenomenon. And those sorts of huge phenomenon can't help but shape culture. Sure. And so we have to realize what we're dealing with from the beginning. This is, this could potentially be the most influential book we've ever read. Well, I think, weirdly enough, I think uh, the triumph of nerd culture yes. does a whole lot to Harry Potter. I mean, whatever you want to say about getting people to read or not getting people to read or whatever, what she did do, what these books did do is make reading cool. Yeah. It was cool. It was okay for anybody to read. Yeah. It, it was it was safe to read Harry Potter. And it didn't matter what your what the hierarchy at your school was. And the other thing that it helped with the nerd culture is it made things that people originally thought were just for kids okay for adults as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because these kids read Harry Potter as Harry Potter grew up. And so the kids that started reading Harry Potter in 95 were still reading Harry Potter in 2007 mm-hmm. when the last one came out. And they were adults at that point. And so naturally, around 2007 is what? When we start seeing the Marvel movies, at sure. least yeah. rumors of them, right? So... 2007 is, so two, 2007 is when the first Marvel movie came out, as a matter yeah. of fact, wasn't it? And so at that point, Harry Potter... I think you're oh, right, yeah, you're Jake. Right. I hadn't ever thought of it before, yeah. but yeah. Harry Potter did a lot of that work of both making the nerd culture cool, but also making it cool for adults to participate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also really selling the idea of really built out and lived in worlds. Yeah. Because if you watch in those... In a way that, that, you know, nobody had really... It was Star Wars and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Right? And those things had been done, but it, had they been embraced by culture at large before? Not. No, no I would no. have still made fun of... Star Wars and Star Trek geeks. Sure, yeah. I mean, it was a specialized thing that a few nerds at your school. Yeah, Yeah. You know, she wins. mm -hmm. And And she's a big part of that, of the winning. Yeah. And we'll talk about in a minute what she does that's different than Star Trek, which is what Star Wars also does, is she does create a myth. Mm -hmm. Right. And that myth is very essential for that story. I I would argue that Harry Potter is going to be one of our cultural artifacts that lasts a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. I mean, do I actually seriously think she's as important as Shakespeare? No. But do I think she will last a long time and be looked at as a major cultural artifact like Dickens or something along those lines? game changer? Well, I'll tell you what else is going to last forever. Dracula. Is it in any way a quality novel? Not really. But is it an iconic 
mythological creation? Yes. Yes. Now, right. Harry Potter may well be more quality, but we'll get to that. But my my only point in saying all it that is, is yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Hands no. down. No argument there. Yeah. But uh, a savvy bit of myth making. Harry is... together with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, now you have something. <laughs> now, guys, how about we make a gazillion dollars? Harry marries Buffy. Harry marries Buffy. Call Joss Whedon. There's something about Harry's Mary's brother, Buffy. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so just a few things we haven't touched on with her bio. Mm-hmm. We In 2001, something else happens that makes her not just a millionaire, but a billionaire the, from the movies. Hollywood gets involved. They buy the rights to these. And she being a good, actually being a fairly good business woman along the lines of George Lucas. Lucas she says that she needs to have some sort of say over the his, the story. And so she helps shape these movies. She has an interest. And in fact, in six and seven, she's accounted as a producer and has I her hand involved. That. Yeah, she has her hand involved in all the movies. So she doesn't give over control of the movies. That's why the movies are very, that's very... disappointing to know, actually. That's disappointing to know. Well, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. like the movies. Okay, okay. I don't not like them. We'll get to that. The movies are great. She has, But that's why the movies are... Even if they're pared down, they are very faithful to the books. So, because she had her hands in them. Mm-hmm. After Harry Potter 2007, she still she starts a website called Pottermore where she has all the Harry Potter arcana. She promises that she'll have an encyclopedia of Harry Potter trivia, which has been she's it's been in the writing for years. She says it's going to take 10 years, and that was 10 years ago. She's well, 20th anniversary this year of the Sorcerer's Stone. Really? Yeah, just like as of this recording a couple of days ago, I think, or huh. in the last week, the 20th anniversary of the publication of the Sorcerer's Stone. Well, well there we go. There you go. It's a great year to be releasing a 100th episode extravaganza on it. Great year to be alive. Yeah, great year to be alive. So you have this, then you have uh, the Hogwarts that's built at Universal Studios. Mm -hmm. She still has, I think she has interest in that as well. Can I just say, I would very much like to go to that. I've heard it's phenomenal. I've heard it's really cool. I was watching The Ringer, which is mostly a sports website, but also a pop culture website, has been, they have a podcast called Binge Mode that's been going through the Harry Potter stuff. I've not listened to, but they have a bunch of Instagram stories of the hosts of Binge Mode going and checking out Hogwarts and all that sort of thing. And now, Dick, are you trying to tell me that compelling. another podcast has handled Harry Potter? Is in process of handling They're handling it much more in depth than we are. They're doing it like five chapters at a time, sort of close read stuff. I really thought we were the first podcast to tackle the subject of Harry oh, Potter. Man. The, yeah. I no. Up. At least binge mode. Probably okay. no other podcasts have talked about Harry don't Potter. Don't even go look it up, Nate. Just trust Jake. Use the Kenneth Branagh curse on me yeah. so that I don't even have to <laughs> the know. Kenneth Branagh curse. <laughs> Whatever it's called. Scramble my brain. Oh, right. Scramble brainios. <laughs> Scramble brainios. <laughs> I thought that you were obliviate. That's the one that you're talking about. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh gets, gets obliviated, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Yeah. Professor Lockhart. He obliviates Lockhart. himself. See? Yeah. yeah. The books. So. Yeah. Yes. This is the Spear Danes in Days Gone Gilderoy By. A needle's pulling thread. Yes. But no. Um, so I actually thought when you when you said Kenneth Branagh, you were trying to come up with yeah, Avada Kedavra. I don't know why that just sort of in my head. It was, <laughs> was, kind of, it was the kind of thing that you would do. Just like ah, yeah. I can't come up with the word. Yeah, I can see how I would do that. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah. So, spirit ends and days gone by. Courage and greatness. Um, nothing you can do with them. What? Uh, what? <laughs> what did you say? Who's on first? <laughs> What's on second? Where was I? Oh, Who's so she, third? so the Harry Potter world still lives on. We've got the Fantastic Beasts. Who's on third? Where to find them? I don't, know. I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I don't I'm know who's on third. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's. Yeah. So we have these movies now. We have the Cursed Child, which apparently was a fairly successful Broadway play, right? Yeah. Was it, would be fun was to it go Broadway see. Broadway or was it a stage play? It was West End in London, I think. That's right. First, yeah. I, but I think it's traveling. Yeah, I think it made fact, it to Broadway. That'd be awesome if it's in Chicago. It just yeah. won. It just won a when bunch we, of awards, right? Our, uh, oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we should we, totally do I'm that. I'm sure we would need lots of money to do that. I'm probably. sure it's expensive. I'm sure it'd be worth it. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, if our booking supporters want to expecto patreonus. <laughs> Yeah, expecto patronus. Expecto patronus. Send us to see Harry Potter on the stage, or we'll abracadabra you. <laughs> yeah, that's right, abracadabra, not avada kedavra. It's a difference. Um, so, <laughs> and then finally to wrap up her bio, which I guess will be. the I appreciate largest... you making that distinction, Brandon. Thank yep. you, thank you. We don't avada kedavra anyone here. It's avada kedavra free zone. That's the only thing that's like 
bad in the in that world. The only thing. The only thing. It's like the only thing. Besides the pro style. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got magical. So she has had a post Harry Potter career in 2011. She wrote Casual Vacancy. The Casual Vacancy, which Which we've all heard of and read. Yeah, which had some success. It seems like most of the reviews that I read about it are kind of like, it's it's J.K. Rowling. It's nice to see her doing something different. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of the tone. So like they're there. Yeah, some people said it's fun. It got a the BBC, BBC thing. Yeah, the BBC uh, turned it into a series, yeah. three episode series. I haven't watched it. I haven't tried to read it either. And then she did a fun thing where she uh, wrote under a pseudonym called Robert Galbraith, uh, a detective novel. There was some scandal around. So it got a lot of actually good reviews, but then it came out that the people giving the good reviews were actually good friends with Rowling. And it came out on Twitter that she had written the book. And so some people are saying, well, yeah, they probably just gave it because it was some sort of publicity stunt. From what I understand, they're fine. I bet my wife would actually enjoy them now that I'm thinking of Danny. There's more than one? or or Yeah, there are three of them. Danny M., read them. Let us know. That's right. That'd be a fun little episode to have her on. Give us her thoughts. Little reporter. Yeah. Danny, if you read them, you can come on and do a little episode and tell us your thoughts. I don't promise that we'll read them, but... To dubstep. Yeah. Dubstep Danny, come back and Mm -hmm. talk to us about the books of Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. Shares the initials of J.K. Mensel. The one and only. She does. She does. I wonder wonder if uh, Jake is an influence on her. Probably. Probably. He does have that lightning scar on his forehead. So that's her bio. Uh, Well, she's become very, 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 very rich. Even after she gave most of her money away, she's still very rich, and she's married to a doctor. So I'm sure even if she lost all her Harry Potter money, they'd still be rich. So she's living. She's fine. If anybody's worried, okay, she's fine. (laughs) That was a long bio, but we still have more to talk about. All right. We'll talk away. But is there... Oh, shoot. Yeah. Right after this... Hey, everybody. Welcome to Donor Shoutouts, the part of the show where we do shout out our donors. Now, today, what I expect you guys to do is to shout out our donors. Good. Oh, yes. can do that. I think I can can pull that off. (sighs) No twist. In a French accent. Oh, oui, oui. <laughs> oh, why a French one? <laughs> because J.K. Rowling. She uh, like the French. She like the French. Yeah. Why is it more Italian? <laughs> I, have, I have a really knockout French accent. You guys are going to love it. I, I'm looking forward to it, Jake. I am looking forward to it. All I right. have a feeling it's going to sound a lot like what we're hearing right now. <laughs> what? Jake takes donor no. shout-outs very seriously. <laughs> All right, Brandon, we'll let you start with uh, Professor X. Ah, oh, Professor X. And Mrs. X. And Mrs. X. Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle. <laughs> Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds, little gender indeterminate baby. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds and gender undetermined baby. Oh, very nice. Very nice. It's pretty good, right? Very nice. This Frenchman <laughs> speaks wonderful English. Uh, <laughs> Benny and Dana T. Oh, you're not doing it? I'm not doing it. I'm not going to Ah, uh, Benny and Zanati. <laughs> oh, be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> a savvy French reference, if ever there uh, was yes. one. <laughs> That's the, that is my only French reference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jake, you can at least work a French reference of that caliber in. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Oh, there you go. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love wine and cheese. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Fair French people French famous for their wine. wine and cheese. Brandon. Yes. You can call out uh, our good friend, Maya. 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 <laughs> Maya. Paris. So French. Ah, so French. Oh, man, I can practically hear the accordion music, folks. <laughs> we, are all, we are all wearing stripy shirts and berets. Cigarettes. Eating bread, smoking cigarettes, holding them from beneath like you're trash. Uh, okay. Hey, Jake. Yeah. You get the honor, the honor yes. of introducing our good friend, our new supporter. Yeah. I'm going to call him DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Who well, loves baguettes. Waka waka. Who likes waka waka. <laughs> you stepped on Jake's baguettes there, Brandon. Sorry. I'll have to ask you to apologize to him. I'm sorry, Jake. I forgive you. Thank you. I'm so glad that that occurred. DJ Sammy G. He goes by Sam. That would be his Christian name, perhaps Samuel. He came to come to us as Sam. He's got a last name. We don't actually give those out. I'm going to call him DJ Sammy G. What do you think about that, fellas? Love it. I like it. All right. He is our new donor. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you, DJ Sammy G. Illustrious hey, Sammy G. Whose turn is it? Mine. Well, you're going to call out my 
beloved Mother Beth. Nathan's. <laughs> yeah, actually good French I Nathan's beloved Mother Beth. Hey. It's a very good French yeah, accent. Crossing the Thames there. <laughs> From the Cockney Dick District. Crossing yeah. the Thames. Yeah, it's crossing, crossing the, Thames. the Thames. She's just too good of a mother to be French. She's what? got to now, be British. It's just a river. I know. you I got to cross it, though. you got England on one side of the Thames, and then French. The Thames is the biggest yeah. river ever. The French is on the other side. No, it's not. Oh, well, what would you know, Mr. American? Yeah, he's got his, he's got his queen's knickers in a nooseman's knot. Oh, Nathan. You might as well take the lorry to you the can't. lift. Hey, Jake. Yeah. Do you find great literature to be transporting? I do. Is there anything else that you find to be transporting? Uh, David's Mighty Men Transport. Say something French. Probably available in France. Yep, probably. Probably could be for the right price. <laughs> for the right price, yeah. Brandon, yeah. Jean and Jill and little baby Max. Jean and Jill and oui. their petit chou. Man. Ooh, that's right. You speak French. 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 That's right. <laughs> you speak French. Don't In the you? French, that's a term of endearment. Petty shoe. Petty shoe, which means little cabbage. Okay, can't say that I care for that at all. <laughs> Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds, and little baby Brandon and Jeremy. <laughs> Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds, and little babies Brandon and Jeremy, Aww. who like the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we would. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oh wait, we. I'm sure I would, and Jeremy probably would, too, if he were around. If he were around. Genesis. Genesis. Ah, mon amour. <laughs> Genesis. Right. We, we understand that she's someone else's amour. <laughs> You're someone else's. Someone else's amour. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Andrew and Esther and little baby Timothy. Andrew and Esther and little baby Timothy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> My little croissant. My little croissant. <laughs> you could do petty Jew or whatever. Petty Jew. Is that what it was? Cabbage? Petty shoe. Oh, petty shoe. <laughs> uh, Racist. You, you've got... Yeah, that's true. Huh? <laughs> I like Hitler. I was lying earlier. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Lily of the Valley. Ah, Lily of the Valley. Can you say Lily of the Valley? Can you say of the Valley in French? French? No, no I can't. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you studied French in school. I did, but I don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jake, how about Jim Beam and little Annie Oakley? Jim Beam and Le Petite Annie Oakley. <laughs> Le Petite mm. Annie Oakley. And finally, Brandon, take oh. it out. Take us home with Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Not moi. Not moi. Ne moi. Ne moi. No moi. That's how no. no. Ah, oui. <laughs> <laughs> My little immigrant. Brendan <laughs> <laughs> turned into an evil robot there. <laughs> hey, wow. thanks hey. for supporting us, donors. Jake, how would you become a donor if you wanted to? Patreon.com forward slash the booking give any amount. But if you want to hear a shout out, $10 is the price. That is absolutely right. Right. Or more. Best deal on the list, mm-hmm. $50 a month. No, it sounds like a lot, but you get a book every month. That's absolutely right. Personalized. You get a t-shirt a year. That's absolutely right. You get a donor shout out. You get exclusive behind the scenes content because before every episode, mm-hmm. we make awesome videos for our Patreon supporters. Jake's being sarcastic because I haven't done that very much lately, folks, but we're working on it. Eventually, there will be weekly videos. Um... Also, now that we've hit the $500 mark, we also have a weekly show by the Mysterious Phantom. Oh, darn. Brandon went and shot him. Too bad, but I imagine he's probably not dead. What could kill that thing? I'm guessing it'll happen. It'll (laughs) happen. What could kill him? Tried so many things. You know there's not going to be a Mysterious Phantom show without Bradley. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I understand anyway. I've never met this Phantom guy. Uh, So for a dollar a month, $4 a month, $10 a month, any dollar amount a month, you get access to the Mysterious Phantom show. Yep, which is coming soon. TBD. TBD. Hey, let's get back to the show. Whoa, yeehaw. And we're back. again. So we don't have actually a whole lot of context left all right good. so let's do this let's do it uh we've already talked about our influences so let's talk about some of the structure the uh 
The literary influences. We talked about the authorial influences. Mm -hmm. Now we'll talk about the broader literary context with, in which she falls. I'm not sure whether I'm comfortable with besmirching the name of the great Jane Austen, my past and future girlfriend. You got to get over that, man. That's recorded Past girlfriend? Oh, if I got a time machine. She likes, J she likes Jane Both Austen. Both past and, and future because it's in the past, but your future. Right. If I got a time machine, get a triceratops, take her for a ride somewhere in the 18th century, that would be in the past. And in the future, I will make it this time machine. So it actually actually is, in fact, my past and future girlfriend. Jane Austen would have probably liked J.K. Rowling. I just wanted to see your face. Well, you saw it. <laughs> Looks like I just made <laughs> it's a very your special head explode. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the literary influences or the, the uh, important literary context to remember. Mm -hmm. We touched a little bit on it with her bio. Reading was at a decline at this point. Unfortunately, there are articles out now saying that the children that Harry Potter inspired to read, that was kind of short-lived because it seems like children are not reading again. Universally, but. it was my observation that people, such as my brothers, for example, my schoolmates, people, they began to read Harry Potter and they enjoyed reading Harry Potter and they continued to read Harry Potter and they went back and they reread Harry Potter. Did it, in fact, lead a high percentage of them to read other things? That was not what I perceived to No, and I think that's what this study was arguing, is that it did not turn anyone into a long lifetime reader. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't so. people that started with Harry Potter and it was a gateway drug. I'm just saying, did it actually work consistently or universally yeah. as a gateway drug? No. But you had these studies that looked at Harry Potter then and saying, look at this, it's it's getting kids to read again. And then now you have studies coming out. They're saying, no, it actually didn't. Um, it, didn't it, it, was, it didn't change that cultural phenomenon that was happening. All it did was briefly give everyone a hope that it was shifting. But it didn't really. And in the same, at the same time, maybe what it actually did accomplish was provide a little shelter for the Jakes and Nathans and Brandons of the world. Yes. To get away with reading. I think that's probably true. Yeah, I think and that's so, true. Well, you just got to remember C.S. Lewis's argument that there were going to be some who would read and those who won it. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of in their DNA. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy, that guy, that, that guy. That we'll, argument we'll do that gets, have we done that book? The experiment and criticism. Yeah, we haven't actually. We'll have to do a one-off yeah, on that. We'll do a one-off on that because there are some really good things he has to say, and also some really, really horrifying things he has to say. We'll do but, that one with Jake. We're not. It's yeah. not going to be like a Nathan and Brandon special. Where we'll Jake's need Jake to be like, a part of that conversation. Yeah, in Asia or something. We'll we'll do that. Jake. Yeah, that, that, we need Jake. To be a part of that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't re uh, reinvigorate the reading. The reading. <laughs> she didn't reinvigorate the reading. <laughs> the reading. <laughs> she didn't reinvigorate the I reading. Pronounced reading. The reading. The reading. The reading. Mm -hmm. She did not. There, there have been some interesting articles. I read one recently about how people who read Harry Potter are mo more emotionally in tune. So, like, they had some men read Harry Potter, and like, they were more emotionally aware. Which is like just after the fact. Yeah. Which is just showing you that reading, reading in general helps you. On... Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. So basically, study. what that article was proving is what is one of the main arguments for reading is it teaches you empathy. Mm -hmm. And people who read generally are more empathetic. It's just the way you know the way it happens yeah. because you, you mean read. people who spend time in other people's heads and in the hearts and minds of characters and you yeah know, they, they're yeah. able to empathize yeah, better I mean, it with seems people. so weird but yeah, yeah. who, who would have thought every time i crack open mind Kampf, it's just like yes i know i understand so much <laughs> yes. more about that <laughs> really worried about the way this storyline's going but okay um <laughs> folks let's be very clear i'm a nazi yes <laughs> i think they got no, it um I'm, I'm not a nazi um, that's, that's a joke so the very the the first thing that we've actually talked about in old prior bookening Ye old, uh, ye old bookening episodes mm -hmm. is the fantasy genre. The whole, the way it developed, the way it came to be, how it was rooted in like old le uh, fairy tales, legends, and stuff. So, I mean, she's obviously connected to that mm -hmm. past and that history. Not enough that it actually would add any benefit to go back over the history of fantasy. So, people can go back and listen to those episodes again. I'm sure there, there would have been the. Um, That's what I'm trying to remember. Something Wicked This Way Comes sure. episodes, those where we looked at the history of fantasy. Yeah. It might be a Anything nice to have Bradbury. Your, you get your love a little primer there if you want it. It's not enough. I don't think it adds enough value to hear it actually bring it back up other than it reminds you that fantasy is a genre that at this time was well established and that it was so well established that you have very particular categories within fantasy and so this would fall in i mean it would be fantasy but it would be more of the wizard world sure. and this by that time would be a thing you had what 
even Disney was in that world with the whole Mickey Mouse with his uh, the brooms in Fantasia. And so it had its own, its own rules and logic that it had to follow. You had the wands that could have the magic and the way that it would control the world and all these things. <laughs> yeah, this and the wands and the magic. The wands and the magic and the reading. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> also, a good reminder that C.S. Lewis, he said that- Clive Staples. Clive Staples. We talked about fantasy when we did the um, Till We Have Faces episode. Mm-hmm. That's another good, good one to go back to. One of the things he said is that a lot of people who want to deal with fantasy deal with it in children's literature because it seems that with children's literature, it's more acceptable than with adult literature that's changing today. That yeah. might, it's actually interesting to go, look back on moments and how we've come full circle. Not even full circle. We're all the way across the pond. Oh, yeah. Because we have Game of Thrones. Hashtag Game of Thrones, yeah. We have the Marvel Universe, all these things that are very respected adult entertainment now. Star Wars is very adult. Yeah, but if you went back 10 years ago, a decade ago, uh, J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter was kind of changing the landscape. And we already made that point, so we don't need to make it again. But she's fantasy, and we'll get to myth in just a minute. The other thing, so in her big influences would be Narnia, you see it all over, and Tolkien, sure. The Hobbit, the Nazgul, mm-hmm. all these Sauron is basically Voldemort, so all these things. With also one other structure that a lot of people talk about with her, and actually wasn't a popular form until she kind of brought it back, was what's called the school story. And the school story was a form that kind of started in the 1700s. It came out of the fact that these boarding schools were starting to establish in England. And we talked about boarding schools a lot with Lewis as well. Boarding schools were where you'd have the child go to a school with other children, and you'd have a headmaster over the children. And in these stories, you would have uh, bullies. You would have secrets, you would have rivalries, you would have bravery, you would have the headmaster, you would also have sporting events. One of the most famous ones was written in 1857. It was by this guy named Tom Brown, and he wrote uh, The School Days. It was the only book he ever wrote about school, uh, the boarding schools, but it was highly influential, would shape a lot of the school books that would be written in the later 1800s. This form would stay popular until about World War II, when it would die in popularity pretty quickly. But these themes would be prominent in the books. You'd have, like I said, the bullies, Draco Malfoy. Mm-hmm. You would have secrets, pretty much yep. essential Every, to Harry yeah. Potter's secrets. <laughs> You'd have rivalry, the houses. Mm-hmm. You'd have bravery. We have a point to make that bravery might be key. Jake has a point to make that bravery might be key to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. to understanding Possibly. what's going on. You have the headmaster. Maybe a headmaster is very important point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very profound point. Very in- <laughs> insightful. Jake was the first had... person to ever think of this. Yes, it was the first person. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jake's be happy that you're standing by it. I'm not. Did you so know sh- that Gryffindor House is? Oh, never mind. I guess we'll get to that. Is it for it's going to be really insightful. Is it for bravery, it's all over the place, Jake. I know. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Great point. I'm the smartest. Headmaster <laughs> Dumbledore, sporting event Quidditch. Quidditch. And so, in this book, School Days by Tom Brown, it was the whole thing culminated in a game of cricket. Uh, this, I think, kind of helps you understand why Quidditch had to be such an important part of these books. Whether or not you like the Quidditch matches that take place in the books and you like the sport of Quidditch, people actually apparently try to play Quidditch, which I don't know how that works, but they do try it's to play Quidditch. Maybe they use, use drones or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I'm thinking of the 1925 film The Freshman, a Harold Lloyd silent film where he is he's the guy in the glasses that hang, hung off of the clock famously. He plays a young man who wants to go to college. And it's fascinating to watch the movie, which came out before World War II when you said this genre died, because it's obviously referencing a very popular form even up to that time where he's super excited about going to college. He's excited about making his mark and meeting girls and not like in a modern sort of American pie sort of way, but just as a specific kind of rite of passage with its own rules, its own milieu, its own feeling. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just very specific. Um, yeah. and it's something that I feel like we lost some, like you were saying, in the 20th century, but you can find it in a lot of old pre-World War II stuff. Yeah, it was I a- saw just earlier today that after Harry Potter came out, there's a huge boom in boarding schools. That doesn't surprise me at all. Across the world, but especially in the UK. And that there, uh, I think I saw a quote by somebody who runs a boarding school in the UK saying that there's nothing that has been uh, bigger for them than Harry Potter, which I went on a date not too long ago with my wife and I just, we ended up walking around the campus of IU 
which is old limestone buildings mm-hmm. or whatever. And and a, there's a dorm that people like to to call Hogwarts because it's, it's old limestone with turrets and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And we were talking about because um, we were we were reading the books. Then we were talking about w- wondering how many students actually chose IU over other schools simply because the buildings look Hogwartsian and the the dorms look like Hogwarts. And the answer is not none. Not none. Yeah. I bet I bet quite a bit. Well, and you often talk, Jake, about how when you first became a college pastor, you noted the way that society was changing because your students would come in and they would they would still be connected to their old life, their old friend through Facebook, social media. I think we've lost a little bit of the actual mystique that Harry Potter gives us back in a new way of going to a new place, redefining yourself, finding your yeah, place in the, the social order. having the ability to start order, over. Just and... starting over. It doesn't matter if you come from the Dursleys or whatever. If you're yeah. abused at home, you can just find And that's place. what college was and that's what college can be. And I think for a lot of people who come from the Potterverse, they they do try to make it that mm-hmm. again. But social media has been something that has prevented that for a lot of people. Yeah, you don't quite have the world's a smaller place, and it's a, it's sad in a certain way that it's yeah, a smaller it was, place. Uh, so many students. I don't know how many students I've over the years exhorted to. You know, they're just living back with their high school friends on Facebook mm-hmm. in their dormitories and not being here now. No, you're in a new place. You're in a new community and you need to be here now and make new relationships and have new friends and be a part of an actual church instead of just sort of, you know, going to classes and then escaping to your social media world of all your high school friends that you don't have real relationships right. with anymore. Maybe what you should have done is given them a copy of Harry Potter because it, <laughs> it actually everything. It actually captures the romance, though. Yeah, it would, have, it would have given the romance of it yeah. mm-hmm. to people. Anyway, derailing Brandon. No, that's yeah. great. Don't normally do that during context. Nope. No, that's that's a that's a good point. I had not thought of the romance of Hogwarts. Well, I want to say I suppose we'll talk about this more, but I really do think part of the romance and the longevity and the reason that people love Harry Potter, the mystique that comes with the whole thing, is simply the idea of being whisked away to a different societal order and finding your place has nothing to do with magic, nothing to do with superpowers, nothing to do with being the chosen one. It it really is just going to boarding school and getting a semi-idealized portrait of how cool that would be. A fresh start with people who actually love you and care about you. Yeah. And And exciting teachers. A new father figure. Yeah. Yeah. And finding exciting fun things to learn, finding yourself, finding out who you are, finding your place. Yeah. And it turns out your place there is a lot cooler, which I think is a trope of a lot of those British novels from the 18th and 19th century where kids would go off to boarding school. Inevitably, they would, you know, the novels Brandon was talking about earlier, they'd make a really cool place for themselves within that world. And that'd be part of the fun. It's the Dead Poet Society. Yeah, exactly. Yuck. But um, way to bring the conversation down, Brandon. You got to find their cave and... Yeah. That's right. Boo. That's right. Yuck. Well, the, there's not a lot left to say then with context. Um, there is the point that what she's developed is a modern day myth. And what do you mean by myth? You mean something that's tapped into, oh, what would, what's that guy, uh, Campbell? Call, mm-hmm. Like an archetype. Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell. Yeah. Carl or Young. Carl Young. It yeah. would be, Carl Young would be the archetype. So he would say that this tapped into something so fundamentally primeval. human. Something that our, we all know in our subconscious and, and understand. So, what it would be is it, w- it would be these themes of friendship, courage, bravery, and the sacrifice, the good versus evil, all these it's things. It's 100% Jungian, and yeah. the appeal of it's 100%. Jungian was right that we need myths, yeah. and what she did was pop onto the scene with a spiritual myth in a materialistic world Mm -hmm. and packaged it really well for kids and rooted it in occult symbolism that goes way back and deep down. And so, of course, it has a ton of appeal. Yeah, and so in a lot of the same way that Star Wars does. Yeah, and so as soon as you get to six and they give the big reveal of the Horcruxes Mm -hmm. and you realize that it's been throughout and then that Harry himself is a Horcrux and has to die. Who cares? A spoiler alert. Yeah, folks, there's going to be spoilers. Um, (laughs) Like how we always remember to say that after we get the big spoilers. Yeah. All these things <laughs> add weight and seriousness to it, which a myth has to have. Apparently, Game of Thrones kind of had that, and then it's kind of lost that. Yeah. Well, it's, and uh, does Harry Potter maybe not come through with flying cars? We're going to talk about we're whether talk she about actually it. pulls it but off. She or attempts not. to do that. She attempts to give it the weight and the heaviness and the seriousness that a myth needs. And then whether or not it holds true, we'll see. We'll see. Speaking of which, if y'all want to hear what we're talking about with Carl Jung or Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. check out our. 
uh, Hero's Journey episode yep. on Sound of Sanity. What you really probably do is check out our Jordan Peterson episode and then yeah, check out there, its, its and sequel. Then follow up with Hero's Journey. Now, fair warning, Jake will convince you never to read fiction again. I wasn't trying to, but yeah, but I, might. I don't think you actually did. But if you're a fan of this show, you have nothing to fear. The bookening is the ultimate argument against the devil's advocate that I presented. Right. Some people did find it to be a strong devil's advocate, and you did indeed do a great job. I myself do think it's okay for read people to read fiction. Maybe. Me too. Maybe. <laughs> Brandon's like, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Any more context in the old context barrel, Brandon? Uh, no, not not a whole lot. Um. What we need to end on is just kind of what she said about the world post-fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, it seems mm-hmm. she's kind of backtracked on some things or added elements that are very strange. This show, they reveal some about her character, reveal about her political stances and her political posturing. Mm-hmm. Most famous one, she said Albus Dumbledore is gay. Mm-hmm. She sure did. She has said that Hermione and Ron have a horrible marriage and Ron just can't make Hermione happy. Yep. Oh, she's probably said other things too. She has. But it's had a very strange afterlife with her, the way that she tries to put her authorial uh, interpretation back on. Well, her favorite author of all time, and mine too, Jane Austen, famously knew what the Bennets were up to and what the Darcys were up to and can answer all those questions. I'm glad that most of that stuff hasn't come down to us, and I wish jk rowling i mean it's okay for me if she wants to keep but i wish she wouldn't tell us because i just think this has nothing to do with dumbledore being gay or any of those things that i personally might not like because of my convictions i just think anything she could tell me is going to diminish it she should just sort of be let it be i don't think she should have given us the stupid epilogue either no we didn't need the epilogue yes we'll we'll, yeah but we'll talk i think Probably a lot of our listeners will agree with us on that one, but we'll get to that. Yeah. I haven't heard a lot of love for the epilogue. And the final thing that she said that I think is helpful for us as we talk about magic in general later Mm. on. Yes. Probably not in this episode. Probably not. But is that uh, she says that if the wizards weren't so successful in hiding magic from muggles, what muggles would do is see magic as the fourth science. Mm-hmm. And so it's a natural force, something that exists within the world is completely explainable through science if we only knew that it existed. Sure. So that's the way she justifies it. And that's the way she explains it. Just like a lot of people that are into the occult or the supernatural will tell you that, you know, the thing that people perceive as ghosts or UFOs now, one day it'll just be another thing that we understand as part of the natural order. Yeah, the life force or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the gravitational force. So whether or not that helps at all, that is the way that a lot of Potter, the Pottermore world talks about magic in Harry Potter as sure. a force. Because he really doesn't spend a whole lot of time explaining where it comes from or what it is in the books. Yes, he's not very concerned with the ideology yeah. so much as the the uh, the accoutrements, the, yeah. uh, the, the, the stuffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't get Dumbledore explaining the religion mm-hmm. behind it all. To be fair, you don't get Gandalf explaining that either. Yeah. You do. You got the Similarian and other things that kind of paint it in. Which but. would be the Harry Potter encyclopedias and all that that are apparently coming out. Right. Right. Three-volume Hogwarts library. Yeah. So. Is that it? That's it. I think that's helpful to just know that that's the way she, she tries to paint magic. Yeah. Because we will be talking a lot about magic and how we should see the magic and how people see the magic and how that affects the way you read the book. So. The magic. The magic. Well, guys, I think the next question that we have to answer before we go any further is, should Christians read Harry Potter? Yeah, we should figure this out, Nathan. Inquiring minds want to know, Mm -hmm. as they say. I mean, she drew pretty heavily from actual occultic occultic practices and neo-paganism. Oh, yeah, you have a lot of blood sacrifice. You have a lot of corpses and skulls and... And even just stuff like the Mandarake roots, it's... It's it's what actual alchemists, actual occultic people, actual magicians, the Wiccas is Wiccas Flamel, actual alchemist. Sure. Yeah. A uh, lot of a lot of the people that she has writing textbooks are convicted heretics and wizards uh, who are burned at the stake. Yep. And the Bible has some s- strong things to say about uh necromancy and sorcery and sorcery and witchcraft and what should happen to those people who practice them. Yep. And you might think that we, uh, you can probably guess that we are not going to come back and say nobody should ever read Harry Potter because that would would be sort of silly for us to be doing these episodes. You're probably smart enough. So I'm not going to try and leave you with a Marvel cliffhanger where it's like, (laughs) (laughs) obviously, if you know how stories work, you know, it's not. But is 
is Spider-Man going to live? Right. I dare say the answer that we are going to give, which we've not recorded yet, so I don't know exactly what the answer is going to be, but I think it might be a little bit more interesting and have some more elements to it. A little more complex. A little bit more complex, a little bit less... uh, I can tell you this. Let me put it this way. It's not just going to be like people that think you shouldn't read Harry Harry Potter are so dumb. Or people that think you can read Harry Potter are wicked and need to be burned at the stake. Right. I think we might be able to fall somewhere between (laughs) those two uh, things. Yeah, maybe. It's a cliffhanger. Oh, no. Expecto! End of the episode! everybody this is nathan alberson your humble and obedient host hey i produced this thing me and jake executive produced it brandon did a fantastic job writing that context performing that context like a champion like a auror the king of all contexts aurors fighting the black magic of ignorance bolts of knowledge shot from the wand that is his mouth thank you you're welcome you did a great job of course I did. Uh, that goes without saying. It's insulting that you would have to say it. Jake, how would a person support the book? And we already alluded to it earlier. Patreon, not Patronus. Nope. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the booking. That's right. People got us over 500, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool of you guys. Thank you so much. But we always could uh, use a little Every bit Every little more. bit helps. Every little bit helps. <laughs> no, it really does. It really does. It goes towards all kinds of important things at Warhorn Media, including certain people's salaries. So I'm always happy when you are able to support our work, and so are is everyone here. And what else do we need to say? Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a nice review. Leave us yeah, five rate- stars. Review, please. Yeah, that is really helpful. That is something you can do for us for free, which is a big help. Brandon will now dictate to you what your iTunes or Stitcher or whatever service you, what, what your review should say. In three, two, one, go. These guys knew everything that I thought that I should say and think about Harry Potter. And they're charming, lovely men, really good looking. Support them today. Great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I like that the person within the review is actually calling for other people to support us. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So there you go, folks. You don't even have to use your imagination. It's been all dictated for you. You can probably hold your phone up, turn on the dictation software, just let Brandon dictate it. There we have it. Next week, we'll be back, and we will solve the question, solve the riddle, the Tom riddle of should Christians read Harry Potter? And which one of us is Lord Voldemort? (laughs) We'll find out (laughs) next time. 